It's been a great joy to be with you, and thank you for the preparation that you have done to make this weekend meaningful for me, uh, meaningful for those who have attended each of the activities that we've had, the, uh, the flags around, the cutouts that Pastor Ted has done, and I've, it's, it's a rare privilege to be able to, as, a, as an international worker, to be able to stay with former international workers, uh, and so we've been able to, to talk about our ministries together and different uh, stories that we've been able to share, common commonalities, and that's been a real joy for me. Laura is now, my wife is now in Toledo with the Harvest Lane Fellowship Church in Toledo. So you, I've been telling people, you get the lesser half, they get the, the better half. And we're, we're just so thrilled to be able to be in a lot of churches in the Great Lakes District this fall. We have uh, three more weekends after this, and then we have a great break for Christmas, and then head out again to other districts in the spring. And uh, it's a real privilege for us. We've been in Indonesia since 2009. Before that, I was a pastor of the Swanton Alliance Church just across the border in Ohio for 16 years. And the Lord called us to, to leave that and join the work that was happening in Indonesia. And we've been primarily involved in theological education, leadership development, church planting, this past year, I had the privilege to serve as the field director for the field, overseeing the work of the different of our eight teams there, and uh, which meant a lot of traveling and a lot of uh, uh, a different perspective of ministry. But we appreciated what what uh, God led in that. I forgot my little clicker here for the slides. So, just to give you a little bit of introduction in our family. Where do I point this? There or here? Okay. Uh, I just passed up. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is our oldest child, our oldest daughter with uh, her husband and kids, and our, our other daughter with uh, their, her husband and their little girl. And then our son and his family, his wife is... Uh, pregnant with twins. They're, they will be, she's due in February. And then our youngest son in the top right there is, uh, his name is Josiah. He is in New York City or living in Harlem and ministering in Harlem with the Envision New York City site, which is the CMA site for training uh, young leaders. And he will be there for at least two years and working with the Congolese Alliance Church plus African immigrants there. And these are our current six grandkids. We get to add two more soon. Oops, okay, here we go. Um, the, the theme of this year's conference is all of Jesus for all the world. What a great theme that is. And it's based on this verse from Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is an important motivator and command for all of us, not just for international workers. Look at how many times the concept of all is used. Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth. That just about says it. <laughs> it's not partial. It's not, there's, well, I have 
kind of authority in the United States, but not authority in some countries that don't believe me. This is all authority in heaven and on earth. There's no president or province or prime minister political power that has more authority than Jesus. He has all authority. Nothing in this world happens without his authority, without his sovereign word. And he has authority of all nations, and that authority has been given to us. I have given it, oh, it's been given to Jesus. Then he, what does he say? Therefore, go. So we go with all the authority that Jesus has now. And it's a, it's a very powerful reality to know that Jesus is with us in this room. He's with us wherever we go through the Holy Spirit. And we go with his authority. There's no fear that should be greater than the authority of Christ because he has it all. And it says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, not just European nations, not just African nations, Asian, all nations, because every people needs to be worshiping Jesus. He is worthy of every different tongue in the world. And that should bother us. Not that people are going to hell. That should bother us too. But what should bother us more is there are people in this world who are not worshiping Jesus because he's worthy of it. He's the only one who's worthy of that adoration. And so we're baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded. The whole word of God is true and has authority. And I will be with you most of the time. <laughs> I will be with you always to the very end of the age. What a great theme for our conference this, this year. And I don't know what you have brought into this sanctuary. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what kind of week or month you have. I've just met you for, this, for the first time this weekend. But you may be thinking to yourself, is there a place for me beyond just the confines of my home, my television, my bedroom, my neighborhood, Michigan, maybe even beyond the borders of the United States. How can God use me? What purpose does God have for me around the world? And how can I partner with what God is doing throughout the many nations of this globe? There's a story in Mark chapter 5 that I'd like to tell. You don't have to turn if you don't want to. I want to tell the story. But the context, the story is a, really, is a great example of this concept of all of Jesus for all the world. To give you the context of the story, Jesus had just told his disciples to go across to the other side in a boat with him, and a great windstorm rose up on the sea, and it was coming into the boat. They were being overwhelmed by the storm, and Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion during this time. The disciples were scared to death, and they woke him up, and they said, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus awoke. He rebuked the wind and the waves. He spoke to the sea, peace be still, and immediately there was a great calm. And then he rebuked the disciples. Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? And interestingly, the disciples were even more afraid, and they asked one another, Who is this? that even the wind and the waves obey him. 
Well, the next story in the Gospel of Mark answers that question. Who is this? The story goes like this. When they came to the other side, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs who was filled with an evil spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the shackles apart and he broke the chains in pieces. Night and day among the tombs and in the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out in a loud voice, he said, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you before God, do not torment me. For Jesus had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. He begged him not to send them out of the country. Jesus asked him his name. And the man said, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now there was a herd of pigs feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him earnestly, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Jesus gave them permission. So they came out of the man, entered the pigs. The herd, numbering 2,000, ran swiftly down the steep hillside into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran and told it in the country and the city. And many people came out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the man who was demon-possessed, who had had the legion, sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it described what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And the people begged Jesus to leave their country. Jesus got into the boat, and the man who had had the demon begged him that he might be with him. Jesus did not permit him. But he said, go home to your friends and tell them what God, how God, has, what God has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. The man left and he began to declare in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. What a powerful picture in this story of who Jesus is. Not just for that man, not just for us, but who Jesus is for the world and for all the nations. What do we learn about Jesus' heart for the nations and the kind of ministry he calls us to? Jesus purposely asked the disciples to cross to the other side. He knew what was there. He knew where they would go. And he purposely wanted to, to give the disciples a preview of what their ministry eventually will be like. Jesus, most of the time, hung out with Jewish people. But every once in a while in the Gospels, we see these touches to the Gentiles to give the disciples, hey, this is what's coming. I want to see, I want you to see my heart for the nations. Jesus and the disciples left their comfort zone and they went to a, to a people where God was not known, Jesus was not known, and where the demons reigned. We left our comfort zone in 2009 
Our church was a, a healthy church. It was like a family for us. God called us to leave, and we went to Indonesia. It was hard our very first year in Indonesia. I didn't like Indonesians <laughs> that first year, but we knew we were called. And we had a lot to learn about Indonesians and about Indonesian culture. I remember learning language that first year, and as Laura and I were walking home from one of our language school lessons, we saw a Sundanese woman, the Sunda people, ahead of us carrying her baby. Now, the Sunda people are Muslim, and very Muslim. To be Sunda is to be Muslim, they say. And Muslim people, they don't eat pigs. And the Sunda are even more radical about it. They don't even like to look at a picture of a pig or they get nauseous. So I were behind this, this woman and she's carrying this little baby. And I wanted to practice my Indonesian with Laura. And I said, ah, ibu itu ada babi. Well, uh, what I wanted to say is that woman is carrying a baby. Babi, baby? Well, the word for baby in Indonesian is bayi. Babi means pig. So I said, look, that Sundanese woman is carrying a pig. Well, great praise the Lord. She didn't hear me. Laura did, and she said, that's not the right word. <laughs> well, we are constantly learning, and we now have grown to love Indonesians. We love Indonesia. We love the various cultures that we experience there and get to know. And we're learning more and more about who Indonesians are and what they're like. In 2016, about five years ago from now, I was sitting on the side of a road, bleeding from my mouth, my arms, and kind of dizzy and woozy about where I was. How did I get there? <laughs> I was riding my scooter, 150cc scooter, just filled it up with gas, coming around a corner and my back tire fell off. And what's going to happen when you only have one tire on a motorcycle? <laughs> I just fell flat on my face right on the pavement and uh, immediately checked my teeth. They were still there, but took my motorcycle and kind of sat on the side. A man right away stopped and helped me get to the side and was tr trying to talk to me. I had my backpack with me, it had $500 in it because I was on my way to exchange it for Thai money because I was going to take a trip to Thailand in a couple weeks after that. So I didn't want to leave my backpack out of sight. Another car stops, and they said, oh, is that everything okay? They're saying it in Indonesian, and I, I spoke in Indonesian. And they said, oh, you know Indonesian. Isn't that amazing? And the, So that, I was thinking, you know, can you just go on if you're not going to help because I'm bleeding here? Well, I call the, a friend of mine on campus of the Bible school where you teach at, and I said, uh, hey, I, I just got into an accident. I, I, I need to go to the hospital. Uh, can you meet me there and call Laura? Well, I got to the hospital with this man. A man stopped with his pickup truck, and he loaded my motorcycle onto the pickup truck. He took that pick, the motorcycle all the way to campus, and then came back, gave me the key while I was in the hospital. The man that I had stopped with me took me to the hospital. And then Roby, my friend, 
he came and stayed with me the entire time I was at the hospital in the emergency room while I was getting stitched up. And it just, it made me cry when I was laying there, not because I was in pain. I thought that was the funny part because, you know, they're trying to clean things. And I'm like, oh, okay, that hurts a lot. What was, made me cry was the, the care of Indonesian people, some who didn't even know me. And why do I show this picture? Because that shirt is the shirt I had on, and it has a little tear on the bottom of it. And every time I wear it, I remember what God did uh, for me in that, point, in that moment of that motorcycle accident. Uh, we're there in the guest house, of uh, the CMA guest house, and these are our, this fellow staff people with us. But it, that experience just made me realize how loving of a culture Indonesians will stop whatever they're doing, and whatever they're doing is not as important as what you need at that moment. And it was a beautiful picture. It also taught me a lot about my weakness and how God was going to have to be our strength because I had just recovered. Uh, after I recovered from that accident, I got dengue fever. So I was basically out for two months, and, but the Lord is gracious in those times. Part of the responsibility we have in the field director office is being in the guest house. But all that is just a small part of this theme. All of Jesus for all the world. To go beyond our comfort zones like Jesus did. And reach those people groups who have not yet heard about Jesus. Those people who are no better off than that man who met Jesus at the shore. We may not see them as broken as the demon-possessed man. But anybody around us in our neighborhoods or around the world without Christ is as lost as the man who confronted Jesus on the shore of Gennesaret. What do we learn about Jesus in this encounter with the demon-possessed man? Think about the ruined life of this man. Obviously, spiritually, he was broken. He was messed up. 2,000 demons dwelled him and dwelt him. What's the right word? And dwelt him. He was totally broken and corrupted spiritually. And you can, you can imagine the people that knew him. I mean, they had tried to control him with chains. They were scared to death of this man. You can't be around us. You have to live there. The only place he could find to live was among tombs, among dead people. And huddling in their, their homes in the village, probably afraid every day that he was going to come around. They could hear him screaming, ah, all through the night, cutting himself. He was spiritually ruined. He was physically ruined. He cut himself with stones. He had no shame. He didn't wear anything. He, didn't, he was socially broken, all alone. No one would visit this man except maybe to control him. But they had given up trying to bind him because he broke the shackles in pieces. He shattered the chains. Broken, alone, living in a cursed place. This is Halloween. <laughs> this, was, this is being con completely controlled by the demonic. In November 2020, I was asked to preach the main sermon for the, the dedication of a large church in Papua, Tamika. 
Papua. Part of that ministry meant visiting a group of displaced persons. Papua right now, which is the easternmost island of Indonesia, used to be called Irian Jaya, is really a disrupted place politically, socially. People are being driven from their homes by the military. People are being driven from their homes by local sect cultic groups. So we had an opportunity to pray for this little group of displaced peoples. Most of them, I could tell by their faces, were sick. Their eyes were red. Their noses were running. They're older, older men, the older women next to, sitting next to them. And I was there with a, a friend of mine named Detaminus. Detaminus has a heart for displaced people. He has a heart for the suffering physically. He has an evangelistic heart. He's a pastor. And as we approached this group of people, Detaminus began shaking hands with every one of them. This is in the height of COVID in November. And as I began to, I thought, well, I've got to sh- I can't not shake hands with them. And I began to shake hands with them and just their hands were burning up and you could tell that they were sick. But this to me is a little microcosm of Indonesia. People on the wrong side of injustice, people on the wrong side of truth, people deceived by false teaching, by false religions who are broken, lost, and I thought about that. Detaminus is just one man. He can't help all these people. Who else is there to reach not just the Dani people of Indonesia or the Damal people of, of Papua, but the many people groups in Indonesia who don't know who Jesus is? We're just one person. <laughs> would you pray with us that the Lord would raise up laborers for the harvest field. Maybe that is someone from this church to join in reaching out to the many people groups. These people are just like the man who encountered Jesus. Without Christ, socially, physically, economically, emotionally, spiritually broken, apart from Christ. What else do we learn about Jesus in this passage, in this story. Jesus says, all authority and power. When the, these demons see him, it's interesting. It says, when they see Jesus from afar, it's the, this, the Mark 5 says, he ran. Now, I don't know whether the man in a little bit of a conscious awareness of needing help ran, or if these demons compelled that man to run to, to a to confront Jesus because they knew who he was. What do you want with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? That was the same phrase Gabriel used to Mary. Your son will be the Son of the Most High. They knew who Jesus was. This was the Prince of Heaven. This was the Eternal Son of God. This was the one who was there at creation. They knew, and they were scared to death. Don't torment us. I, I beg you, adjure you in the ESV, fancy word for, I'm, we're begging you, do not torment me. They knew Jesus had authority and power. It's interesting to me how nervous we get 
to do what God has called us to do. (laughs) Because we go, and I get nervous too and afraid, we go with the authority of this Jesus, where the demons around the world are scared of him, are, are petrified at his presence, quake when he approaches. And if we think of when they quake in, our, in fear when Jesus approaches, this is why Jesus says, you will do more than I have done to his disciples, because we go as a mighty force in the empowering of the Holy Spirit with the presence of the Spirit of Christ in us. And the demonic is afraid of Jesus' church on mission. <laughs> Jesus' church that's not doing anything, Jesus, the, the demonic is not worried about that. But a church on mission, a church that knows the heart of Christ and it understands the love of Christ, that makes the enemy quake in fear. Notice how many times Jesus has begged for something. The, this demonic man begs him to leave the country. The crowd begged Jesus to leave. And then this man, in his restored state, begs Jesus to be with him. And I love the picture that Mark gives us. This man is clothed, sitting down, and in his right mind. He was completely restored. He became a human again. He was completely brought back to his created status. And it made people afraid and they begged Jesus to leave. Jesus still has all authority and all power. This is the all of Jesus that we declare. Savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming king. We want to take this holistic message of all of Jesus for all the nations, for the whole person. Spiritual needs, emotional needs, physical needs, mental needs. My brother is manic depressive bipolar. He lives in a group home in Mansfield, Ohio. We've been praying for him since 1994. And I'm not giving up yet. He's my older brother. I do continue to pray that Jesus heals him mentally. But this is all of this is who this is who we serve. This is the Jesus we represent. This is the Jesus we sung about. May the nations praise you. May the nations be glad. Jesus wants the nations to hear about the mercies of God. And that's the commission he gives to that restored man. Can I be with you? Imagine. He just he's he's totally restored. He knows who Jesus is now. The demons knew it, and he knows it. Can I be with you? What's Jesus' answer? No. <laughs> what? No. Go home to your friends and tell them what God has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Sometimes our plans are not God's plan. 2019, July, Laura and I were sitting in our hotel room and at 6 a.m. in the morning, we got a message on WhatsApp that Peniel, my very best friend in Indonesia, died immediately from a heart attack. Peniel, as you can see, is the man with a smile on his face, had a beautiful personality. He loved students. He was the head of our school. The best leader we had in Indonesia. 
He loved people. He loved Jesus. We had been on several ministries together. We had gone to India in 2013. We had gone to Thailand in 2016. So he was with me in that training thing that right after I got in my motorcycle accident. We had gone to another Southeast Asian country in 2019, in January of that year. And he just loved people. And I cried at his funeral unlike I have ever cried before in Indonesia because my best friend had been taken away. And I was not happy about it. I said, God, what are you thinking? <laughs> I know of quite a few people that you could take besides Peniel. This is, uh, this is the best leader that the CMA has in Indonesia. And he's my good friend. And, his, and, and Peniel was just getting it in terms of missions. He was just getting excited about what God was gonna, how he, God was going to use the campus to, to instill in the hearts of the students a passion for Christ and a passion for mission. And God took him. And I still don't know completely why. We have seen the health of the school just go down since Peniel's death. The need for more leaders in Indonesia is, is a huge reality. Why, God, would you take the best one? Well, my plans were not God's plans. And the man who had been released from the legion wanted to be with Jesus, and he wasn't allowed. But what do we see happen? He goes back, and Mark, the end of Mark chapter 6, Jesus comes back to that same area, and it says, when they got out of the boat, the people recognized him, and went running throughout the whole region to bring their sick on beds. And they went wherever they heard he was. And if he was in the marketplace, they would bring their sick and they would beg Jesus that he would just touch the hem of this garment. And any who touched the hem of his garment were healed. Where did those people come from? It came from the testimony of that one man who went and did what Jesus told him. He went and told Everybody, what Jesus had done for him, everyone marveled, and the next time Jesus shows up, there's people all over the place wanting to be ministered to by this all-authority Jesus. We still don't know why God took Peniel. But let me flash back to 1945. 1945, Robert Jaffrey who was the pioneer missionary that came to Indonesia from the Canadian CMA, came from China, went into Indonesia in 1928. 1945, Robert Jaffrey was sitting in a prison, Japanese prison camp. And he was with Randall Wetzel, his fellow international worker there. And he told Randall, he said, Randall, when we get out of here, we're going to go to this other Southeast Asian country. I can't give the name. We're going to start another work in a new area. Well, one month later, Jaffrey died in camp. And then a month after that, the Americans freed those camps and World War II was over with Japan. And that vision died with Jaffrey. But Randall Wetzel never died. And he's 103 years old now. So 71 years ago, 71 years later, in 2016, 
he told that story. We had never heard it. And Peniel heard that story. And he said, we have to be the ones to complete the vision. We have to be the ones to complete Jaffrey's vision to go to this country. This was around the time we had a missions conference on campus. And students came pouring forward to, to commit their lives for contextual work and going to other peoples in Indonesia and outside the borders. One of those students was Q. Her name is not Q, but that's what we'll call her. I call her Q in blue. Q said, I want to go to that country. So we went on a vision trip to this country with Peniel and his wife and my wife and myself and met the people, met the children. But there was a moment we were there when we were among, we were visiting a pagoda, oops, sorry. <laughs> this thing's kind of tricky. Um, <laughs> One, <laughs> two, okay. <laughs> we were visiting a pagoda uh, uh, with all these beautifully gold-covered temples, and there were Buddha statues everywhere in this country. Huge Buddha statues. And we were watching this man teach his daughter how to wash the feet of the Buddha. And Q saw that, and her heart was stirred, and she felt like the Lord was asking her, who is going to tell them about me? So now she is ready to go. But that country is closed now because of a political crisis. And Q is going to Bangkok, Thailand, to minister to the people group from that country. And as soon as Bangkok opens up, she's going. I just got an email from the head of the Alliance World Fellowship in Southeast Asia, who's orchestrating this along with myself. And he said, Thailand is not yet open to missionary visas, but as soon as it's opened, Q is going to go in. And I don't know if that's the end result of Planiel's passing, but at least it's a great story of how God works in spite of the, our losses and in spite of the things, the plans that we have that don't go well. And we'll see God continue to show, okay, this is why I took my servant home. I mean, I may not know completely until we get to heaven, but that's okay. <laughs> what does Jesus call us to do? Have we experienced yet the mercies of God and all that he wants to do for us? Do we know, do each of us know, Jesus as Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King, the King of Kings, the authoritative one, the Lord, and what friends and family around us still need to hear? Where might Jesus be leading you beyond the borders of this ministry? Maybe not even physically, but your prayers partner with what we're doing and what God's doing in Indonesia and make a powerful impact. Most of you, I, I would say, are familiar with the Alliance, but for those who are not, I want to just give a little brief introduction of what the Christian Missionary Alliance is. The Alliance is a, a missionary movement that was founded in 1886. It is now 
a community of, or fellowships around the world, six million believers strong around the world. There are, we are in seven, 90 countries, 16,000 church fellowships, speaking many different languages on any given Sunday, a great reflection of what we will be hearing in heaven. And the fruit of that, those years of ministry is that now those nations are becoming sending nations. When Q goes overseas, she will be the first international worker sent from the Christian Missionary Alliance Indonesia in its what, almost a hundred year history, 93 year history. And we're so excited about this historical event that's going to happen as soon as she goes. She just joins 37 other partner nations that are joining with us in partnership to bring all of Jesus to all the world. As I mentioned, my role this past year has been as a field director, but it's to teach, train, and mentor the next generation of pastors and missionaries, international workers, to reach the unreached in Indonesia and beyond. How can you be partnering with us? I asked that question early on. One way, and the most significant way, is through prayer. And if we could get to that Banjav slide, this is not quite working very well. Please join us in prayer for the Banjav and the Kutai, which is on the next slide. The Banjav and the Kutai people are people groups who have historically been resistant to the gospel and to any kind of inroads into the, of the gospel into their communities. They are almost completely unreached. There are hardly any believers among them. And our team of international workers in Indonesia wants to be putting a team in there by this next summer. And so pray for the ground to be ready, the soil to be uh, soft for them, to ready to receive the, the gospel. We want to do a combined effort with the National Church to uh, start a missionary training center or whatever. We're still trying to plan and strategize for how we can reach them. So will you join with me in praying for these uh, people groups that God would get a hold of their hearts and we would see them praise this Jesus that we serve. The next slide, I think, is our prayer requests. If you would join us in prayer, pray for wisdom, that we would have wisdom as we work with the National Church for, for Indonesians, that Indonesians would have a heart for people groups in Indonesia and even beyond their borders as we send more people like you to other countries, and pray for the transformation for Laura and I in our own hearts that we would grow to understand who this Jesus is even more deeply and for our family. Another way you could partner is through giving. This is, a, if you scan this, it'll take you right to the CMA uh, website, giving website. Uh, when you give to the Great Commission Fund in general, it helps all of international workers, whether we're Kama or Access or Envision or Marketplace Ministries, it helps all of us. If you would like to give specifically to our work, you could do that as well, and that will help us with our daily living needs and our ministry needs and so forth. Um, but you can have a partnership through prayer, through giving, and maybe even through going if you want to visit us in Indonesia or if God is calling some of you permanently to leave your comfort zone and go where Jesus is calling you to do, uh, go, calling you to go. What an exciting place to be in, to be serving Christ wherever we are. 
to be serving Jesus who has all authority and power and not going in our own strength, but going in the authority and the command of Jesus who said what? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's our promise. Jesus will build his church. I want to be part of that. Do you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being a part of your family internationally. We think of all the different skin colors around the world. And people like me are a minority. And what a great thing that is to know that you are reaching out to the nations, the peoples of all the nations. And Lord, you are worthy of their worship. And you're worthy of our commitment. Lord, help us in our hearts to hear from you and to respond to what you are calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.